Please be seated. So while Pastor Will's coming up, I'm just going to... While he comes up, I'm just going to read John chapter 20, and this is what um, Pastor Will will be speaking on today. So if you want to open your Bibles to John chapter 20, I'm just going to be reading verse 1 to 10. I'll just give you a chance to look that up. So now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their homes. I think I'm on. Hello, everyone. Great to be here again. Good to see some, I won't say old faces, good to see some familiar faces, because they're not all old, are they? No, she says, but you get, no, 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 it's right. No, it's good, good, great to be back. Uh, Will and Rose from, well, we were at Innisfail last church uh, for 10 years and we now live in uh, Smithfield, supposedly retired, but very involved in police chaplaincy and uh, and uh, local church there in Cairns. So it is, uh, it's great to be able to come again and uh, and to be part of, of uh, what you're doing here in Atherton. It's great. I'm also just the area pastor for the far north and I was so excited and pleased so many pastors from the far north came down to our state conference. For the, some of them, a lot of them, most of them, I think, it was the first time they'd ever been down to the state conference down south. A few of you may have even gone to the Cairns one a number of years ago, and uh, some of them had been there, but they hadn't been to the, the big one at Mapleton. We had uh, only 500 people there, including kids, and so it was quite a, quite a thing. So uh, John and, and um, Jeff, of course, Cheryl and... Karen were there, and <clears throat> Mariba, Atherton, uh, not Atherton, um, uh, Cooktown, and of course, poor old Josh from Innisfail, if you haven't heard, he did up a caravan, he got it all fixed up, everything was good, polled his four kids and his wife into the car, and off they went, all the way down to Yapoon, was it? Yeah. He rang me up in the morning they got to Yapoon, he said, my daughter's just um, contracted covid and so have I. <coughs> so he couldn't go to conference, he couldn't go to a caravan park, he couldn't stay with um, Meg's parents because he, he, uh, her dad's fairly old. And uh, so they had to turn around and come all the way back to Innisfail. Drove all the way down to your pool in a dirty big caravan, turned around and went back again, poor guy. 
But uh, I don't know why I told you all that. But we had a great time down there. It was fantastic. And it was so good, so good to see these uh, northerners uh, down there and, and, and mixing it with, you know, uh, everybody thinks they're so southeast Queensland-centric. And if you're north of... Um, I was going to say Caboolture, but maybe Gympie. Um, yeah, there's, there's nothing further than that. That's, that's far north, as many of them are concerned. And it was just so good to see them all down there. So it was a great experience. I wonder if you've ever had <clears throat> an experience where you've, you've gone through something or you've done something and you look back and you say, oh, what did I do that for? Oh, can I only, you know, go back and... and do it again. Of course, when you're 15 and you just gave Dad some cheek and you got a smack in the head and you're picking yourself up off the ground, not allowed to do that anymore, but Dad had a beautiful backhand. He just, whoomp. And you'd think to yourself, hmm, probably shouldn't do that again. But there are other things in life more serious than that, of course. And, and we look back and we say, oh, what did what I buy that? What did I buy that car for? But rubbish. Um, why did I do this? Why did I take that? Whatever it is, we sometimes look back and say, oh, if only I could go back and do it again. My devotional this morning, in fact, um, had a, a saying from, uh, that's often put up in sporting, um, um, where they will get changed and everything, whatever you call it, training shed, whatever. And it says, no alibis or excuses, no regrets. And I thought about it, I thought, what does it mean? Because he just had no alibis or regrets. What's he talking about? Then I realised what he meant was no excuses. Leave everything out on the, on the field, whether you're playing football, basketball, whatever it might be. You go out there, you put it in, you do exactly what you've been trained to do and you do it wholeheartedly. You leave nothing to spare. And sometimes for the last couple of years I've looked at my favourite football team that used to be in Brisbane and is now in Townsville. And um, they didn't move, but I did. And I look at it and I say, man, they're, they're not doing that. They're leaving. They're not, you know, they're not trying. This year they're trying, so I'm really happy. Great game for the other night. Cowboys, go the Cowboys. We all have those times where we look back and we say, you know, I didn't really nail that. I didn't really put the effort in there. I, I missed something. I failed God. I failed the Lord. I failed my friends, I failed the church, whatever it might be. So today, oh, I better turn this on, I suppose. What have we got up there? Not a lot. Can we, oh, there it is. Look at that. Isn't that amazing? They were filled with joy. Oh, don't go quiet on me. Okay, so we have all those times. So today we're one week post-Easter. A lot of our friends come up to your big convention up here. And the Innisfail people froze their little toes off because they're not used to anything under 30 degrees. And it was cold, apparently, and wet. But uh, it's one week post-Easter. What I want to do this morning, and <clears throat> be honest, since I've retired, I've realised that the shorter you preach, the better. Right? Uh, look, there's a hand up the back. I see that hand. You can come forward later. All right. I want to explore how some of those who are closest to Jesus may have been feeling in that week. So Jesus has gone to the cross. He's been crucified. They saw him crucified. They saw him put in the tomb. And many of them, that's all they saw. Right? The whole resurrection thing came upon them a little later. And we'll go through that. But at the time, that's 
They were depre- They were in a bad state. Their, their Jesus, their Messiah, died on a cross. and They weren't in a good place. And I wonder how they may have been feeling to have no longer have Jesus with them every day, no longer have Jesus healing, no longer have Jesus feeding the 5,000, all the things he, he did, but also all the truths that he taught, no longer with them. They wake up and they want Jesus, not there. Where's he gone? Well, they knew where he'd gone, of course. So last Sunday, I'm sure you would have all rejoiced with Mary, Peter and John, the other disciples, as they heard miraculously that Jesus had risen from the dead. They were not, even though Jesus had told them what was going to happen, for some reason, they weren't expecting it. And they were filled with joy. Filled with joy. Mary was the first eyewitness, of course, to see the Lord following his resurrection. She not only saw him, according to 1 John 1, 1 to 4, she actually touched him and um, she heard him speak and so on. And this great privilege of being the first one to see Jesus once he had risen from the dead was a woman. Now that's got to rattle some Baptist eyeballs. Eh? It was a woman, for heaven's sake. I mean, what's going on? I mean, surely Jesus would have re- appeared to Peter, John, his loved disciple. Mary? I mean, what? There she was, first eyewitness. She not only saw him, she heard him and so on. This great privilege in that culture was just anathema. We can't understand that. We're in a whole different world. There's a couple of, whoops, grey-haired people like me who remember what it was like uh, growing up in the 50s and 60s and the place of women in that world is different to where it is now much better now, I think. But back in that culture, man, women were nothing. They were chattels. They were something to be used. They were owned. And so it was astounding that a woman who could not even witness in court was witnessing to the greatest of all miracles. Now, other people had raised people from the dead. Jesus had raised from the dead. We know some of the prophets raised people from the dead. But Jesus rose from the dead himself. He didn't need a third person. He didn't need someone to raise him from the dead. No Jew in this period would make up such a story and particularly having a woman as a central first witness. So the Gospel of John, you might open your Bibles there to chapter 20, tells us what happened next. We'll read from chapter 20 of John uh, from verse 19. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting. Now, that Sunday evening means the Sunday night of his resurrection. We're meeting behind locked doors. They were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And again, he said, peace be with you. You can imagine, they were babbling and crying out, and Jesus, Jesus, you raised for them. They were all excited. He said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. They were behind locked doors. We all know why. They were in fear of their lives. Their rabbi had just been put on a cross. And uh, they were afraid of persecution and so on. Peace be with you. All that fear, all that behind locked doors, 
and Jesus stands among them and said this Jewish greeting. But of course he did it not just as their mate, not just as someone who just, you know, appeared. He did it as the Messiah. He did it as the Prince of Peace, as Isaiah calls him in Isaiah 9.6, offering the Messiah's peace, a whole different peace to anything we can offer people. And he delivered the gift of his kingdom, the Holy Spirit. It's a whole other story. So the reality of Jesus' resurrection was now quite clear. Jesus showed them the wounds in his hands and his side from the spear. He didn't fake his death. He didn't swoon or whatever. He conquered death. He was no ghost. He was no spirit. He was a real man. He had a real body. That's why he showed them. And they could actually, as John says in 1 John, they could actually touch him at this point. He was dead, but now he was alive. Now in Luke 24, we read of some who were walking on the, you know the story of those who were walking on the road to a place called Emmaus. They were walking with their heads down. They were not happy campers. They were in a bad place. Jesus had just been put on the cross. Jesus had just died. Jesus had just been put in a tomb. They knew nothing of his resurrection. And they were walking on this road, all downhearted, saddened by what they had seen. Until this man who suddenly appeared to them and showed them all sorts of things from the scriptures, stayed with them and broke bread. And so their eyes were opened. They saw who he was and sadness turned to joy. But not everyone was filled with joy that week after the crucifixion of Jesus. Now, we could talk about um, the soldiers. They were in a bit of a mess. We could talk about Pilate and so on. But I want to focus for a minute on Judas. Judas. When people go, maybe you, I certainly do, when I go to a Good Friday service, and as a pastor for a long time, I'd go, I'd prepare for Good Friday. And over the years, I tried a whole stack of things because... I mean, the Good Friday story is, well, once you've sort of told it, you've told it, you know. And after many, many years of doing that, you were trying to find a different way of approaching it, make it a bit interesting, uh, have Roman soldiers around, do all sorts of stuff. But I came to the conclusion that it's so important for our young children to hear the story. Just hear the story. And so every Friday, Good Friday, I would have us reading the story. Uh, I would speak about it for a few minutes, but most of that morning was reading the story of what happened. And I would often get quite emotional. I'd get quite down about it. This is my sin that put Jesus on the cross. Your sin that put Jesus on the cross. He didn't die there for fun. He didn't die to die on the cross so someone might get saved. It was my sin. It was your sin. And so sometimes I, I came with a heavy heart. But come Sunday morning, wow, that was a whole different ball of wax. We often had a dawn service. We'd go down to Finefish Point when there or at Coolum, we went to the beach and so on. Uh, at Stanthorpe, oh, we went to that lake, that's right. It was freezing cold. Oh, man, frost everywhere. Stanthorpe, you ever want to go there to visit? Make it one day. But anyway, we, we went down and, and we would have this dawn service and I would get really excited because Jesus rose. And as that sun came up 
It was just a magnificent time. And then we would have uh, hot cross buns or whatever. And then we'd go back to the church and we'd have our resurrection service. There was an excitement. There was a joy. There was a reason to celebrate. But as I said, not everyone experiences that emotion of joy and peace on Resurrection Sunday. And many in our society, many of those, our neighbours, many who live in this town and live next to you and whatever, <coughs> uh, excuse me, they don't get excited about Resurrection Sunday. They, they, they don't understand what, <coughs> what all that's about. It's our worldview. Excuse me, Rose, could I have that water, love? <coughs> if we have a worldview that includes a creator, thanks, love. Don't you, you like our servant? This is our, she, she comes with me a lot to do this sort of thing. Been doing it for 47 years next week. So anyway. And so here we are. My worldview includes a designer of all that is. It includes also a judge who will come. My worldview includes a belief that I live a, an examined life, not an unexamined life. There are heaps of things in my life which I'd go back and do different. There are heaps of things in my life where I say, Lord, I failed you. I didn't, I wasn't obedient at that point and go and talk to that person. I wasn't obedient at that point to go and do whatever it was. I failed you. I got heaps of those. <clears throat> 40 years of ministry, you sort of get a little bit of a lift, you know. But that's my worldview. It includes an examined life and a judge. And one day we will give account for how we have lived. My world also, as a logical extension, is a view, has a view, a view of eternity. <clears throat> so this life doesn't finish here, it goes on into eternity. But there are those in our world who are like Judas... I'll read that in a minute. Um, who betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Why did Judas do that? What was going on in his head? Have you ever thought that? Well, you, you walked around with this guy for three years. You saw him heal. You saw it heard his amazing teaching. You saw his phenomenal miracles. What, what possessed you to go to the chief priests and so on with 30 pieces of, get 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus? I could never understand it. Why did he do that? Now we know that Satan had filled his mind with negative thoughts about who Jesus was and what Jesus was doing. And he allowed those negative thoughts that Satan put in there, he allowed them to take over and to consume his thinking. We read in Matthew 27, 3, it's up there on the screen, when Judas, who had betrayed him, realised that Jesus had been condemned to die. Ah, there was a change. He, he flipped in his brain. He was filled with remorse. He was filled. He was consumed. Oh, if only I could go back and do that differently. If only I could go back and not go to those chief priests. If only I went to Jesus about all the frustrations I was feeling. Verse 4, I have sinned, he declared to the leading priests and the elders. For I have betrayed an innocent man. What do we care, they retorted. That's your problem. We don't care. And Judas threw down the 30 pieces of silver in the temple and then we read those very sad words. He went out and hung himself. Now, I want to be a little bit sensitive at the moment. I'm going to talk a little bit 
about this because it's so big in our society. And if you know someone who has um, committed suicide and they're close to you, I'm, I'm sorry I'm raising this. I hope I don't um, bring too much drama to your life this morning about that. And I've seen it in my family, um, and I, I won't tell you the whole story, but uh, it's, it's there. It's all around us. It's a sad ending, and we see it too frequently in the world around us. Just a couple of quick statistics. <clears throat> we can never underestimate, we can never underestimate the impact that every life lost to suicide has on friends, on family, workplaces and the broader community. Did you know that nearly half of all Australians know someone or have been impacted by someone who has died from suicide? One in two young people, one in two, know someone who's committed suicide. One in two. If you talk to our school chaplains, particularly our high school chaplains, you will come across this. And I was very involved in school chaplaincy for a long time and I certainly was aware of that. The latest Australian Bureau of Statistics um, talk about that nine lives are lost per day, per day, to suicide. And they're estimated 65,000 attempted suicides each year. I'm raising this for a reason. I'll get to it. And these are 2020 figures, okay, released in September 21. In younger Australians, 454 young people aged 15 to 25 died by suicide. 21 deaths per 100,000. One third of deaths, one third of, of death for any reason in the 15 to 24 year old age group was by suicide. One third. I mean, that, that shocked me to my core. When we get to older men, it's even sadder in some respects. Males account for 76% of deaths by suicide. Uh, those who have committed suicide, 76% are male. Because males usually are successful. And then there are men aged over 85. I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up this morning, but if you're over 85, you're an idiot. All right? Particularly impacted with 36 deaths per 100,000, which is the highest of any of those figures for men over 85. What's gone wrong? Why are our men committing suicide? Now, our women are also attempting suicide, but, praise the Lord, a lot of them don't quite succeed. They don't use guns and chainsaws and stuff. The three most frequently occurring psychosocial risk factors are a personal history of self-harm, a disruption of family by separation and divorce, and problems in relationship with spouse or partner. Getting back to Judas. Judas committed suicide. It was seen that Judas didn't understand the ramification of his betrayal. He wanted Jesus to be someone who wasn't. Sorry. He wanted Jesus to be someone that he looked at and he thought, that's not what I want Jesus to be. The image of the Messiah in Judas's head was at, at odds with what Jesus was on about. 
And so he got confused as to what Jesus was on about. And once he realised that they weren't just arresting Jesus and throwing him in jail, they were actually crucifying him. That realisation brought out an emotional reaction in Judas. What have I done? What have I done? Filled with remorse. No sleep, no one to turn to. Disciples have mostly run away, as we know. And the guilt over his actions grew and grew and grew and totally consumed him to the point where he couldn't see any way out. Did he search out for Peter or John or any of these others? It doesn't seem so. He was so ashamed of what he did, he was on his own. He was completely on his own. He took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priest. He says, I have sinned. I have sinned. I have betrayed an innocent man. Not recorded, but I'm sure many times he pleaded with the leading priests and so on not to do what they were going to do. He's innocent, he said. But they weren't interested. What do we care? That's your problem. We've got what we want. What happens to you? Nothing to do with us. That's our world. No hope, no way out, no one to turn to. It is a dismal picture, and yet that picture of no one to turn to, no hope, darkness, can't see a way through it, um, a whole sense of, of failure is repeated around us in our world every day. So he threw the silver coin down the temple, and he went out and hung himself. He never realised, he never knew that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, we don't know exactly when he hung himself. But I assume that it was sometime on the Saturday or maybe even Friday when he realised what was going to happen. We don't know. But it was certainly before Sunday. So he, he was completely uh, in the dark, as it were, about Jesus' resurrection. He wasn't there to fall before Jesus and repent as Peter did. He wasn't there to doubt as Thomas did. Judas died, as so many do today, without uh, alone and without hope. One of the things that suicide does, of course, it's, it's an aloneness. People die on their own. And yet what did Jesus say? Among his last words, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Even Judas, Father, forgive them. They, who's they, don't know what they're doing. We sometimes look at the they and we think of the soldiers who were standing before him, and of course it was. We think that they are the leading priests and, and so on, and, 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 and it was. But it was also me. My sin put him on the cross. It was also Judas. Father, forgive them. They don't know what, what they're doing. Sorry, that hasn't happened before. Don't you love it? Ah, okay. I hit something and the whole thing went zunk. All right. Oh, I nearly got back to where I was. Okay, then there is Peter. Good old Peter. Don't you love Peter? I love Peter. I think Peter's great. There is Peter, who also betrayed Jesus. We read in Mark fourteen sixty six that Peter was spotted by a servant girl who recognised him, but twice he denied it. But then others joined in and said, you must be one of them. 
You're a Galilean. And then in Mark 14, 71, Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately what happened? The rooster crowed. I hate roosters. One came over from the wetlands and was outside our house and crowed at 4.30 in the morning. I had images of roasted chicken all day. (laughs) Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. Suddenly this flashed through his mind. Before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. He broke down and wept. He was in a dismal place. He broke down and wept. Again, denial. Again, deep remorse. But we have a different outcome here. In John 20, Mary Magdalene, after seeing the tomb was empty, who did she find? Peter and John. What was Peter doing there? Understand John, the disciple that Jesus loved. I understand he was there with Mary, Jesus' mother, when Jesus was dying. He heard the words of Jesus. There's your mother, look after her. What was Peter doing there? He hadn't run away. He sought out his close friend, John. Ah, go away. Silly thing. Ah, that's never done this to me before. Ah. Isn't God good? Ah, technology, don't you love it? Ah. Anyway, we're talking about Peter. And so he went and found... John, his mate. And I'm just about... <laughs> Friends stick together. When I went to college in 1978, I met a bloke called Angelo, Greek fella, and a big bloke, probably close on six foot. As you can tell, we could look at each other eye to eye when I stood on a chair. Anyway, Angelo and I became good mates. 78, 79, went through college together. We're still good mates. We've hardly ever lived in the same place. Right? We've hardly ever lived geographically in the same place. But there's hardly a week goes by that we don't communicate on the phone or on text or on WhatsApp or, or whatever it is. The temptation when things go wrong is to isolate. Have you ever found that? Oh, I've, I've let the Lord down. I've done something wrong. People tend to isolate. They, they don't want anyone else to know. They want to do it, you know, fix it on their own. And so they isolate. They go it alone. Now, we don't know whether John went and sought Peter out or Peter went and sought John out, but they were found together. And together they went to the tomb. Later that evening, they were together again when Jesus stood among them in a locked room. And then after that, Peter decides to go fishing. I love that story. Um, when all else fails, go fishing. Again, John is with Peter. Some of the other disciples are there. I don't know if John was a... Oh, yeah, he was a fisherman. But anyway, it's John who first recognised Jesus on the shore. And he says to Peter... Interesting, isn't it? He says to Peter, not any of the other disciples or people in general. He just said to Peter, it is the Lord. It is the Lord. You see, friends know when we need to see the Lord. Friends know when we need to be pushed toward the Lord. And and if you've got a friend like that, hold on. I can still remember my dear mum who told me, Will, she said, you can never have too many friends. And that is true. But it's also true that we need 
someone who is closer than a brother, someone who's there for us. And John was there for Peter. So he put on a shirt, jumped into the water and headed for shore. And that was about the third time that Jesus had appeared to them. Now in John 21, verse 17. Um, yep, okay. John 21 uh, tells the account of, of, of Jesus talking to Peter three times. Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? And three times Peter says, yes, I know. You know I love you, Lord. Now, I'm not going to go into the... Because the lady up the back put her hand up and said, keep it short. I'm not going into the Greek there and all the different loves and, and you know, Pastor John, will, will, I'm sure, has already done that. And how... Jesus uses the Greek language to differentiate how Peter loves. But then Jesus gives him three different tasks. And we're going to look at that another time. not going to look at that today. But he not only gives him a life task, but in verse 19, he finishes by saying, it's up there on the screen, follow me. So Jesus not only uh, forgave him for what he had done, denied him three times. He gave him a life task after that. So his life of ministry didn't fall apart because he failed Jesus. And then he said, follow me. Follow me. And of course, as we know, Peter did follow him right to the very end. Right to the very end. And finally, I don't know why I said finally, because it's not finally. Take that one out. There's Thomas. Don't you love Thomas? The old doubting Thomas. I think there's all a bit of Thomas in all of us. There's a bit of Thomas in me anyway, at one time or another. If Jesus really speaking to me, I'm having my quiet time, I'm reading the scripture, and, and, and this thought comes into my head, and I think, is that you, Lord? And so we put out, you know that fleece thing they talk about? put out a fleece. Lord, if you just send a text from someone with a particular Bible verse, I'll know it's you. Is that the epitome of doubt? All right? Okay. So Thomas was a doubter. It's really, Lord, are you really real? Did you, did you really rise? Are you really asking me? Well, we have this story in John 20. He wasn't there when Jesus first appeared to the disciples and the others in a locked up a room, probably away visiting friends in the country, as, you, as they say. When he was told that Jesus had risen, he said, no, I'm not going to believe that. You're all hallucinating. Unless I see the nail prints in his hand, unless I put my fingers there and place my hand in his wound. Of course, eight days later, Jesus turns up, puts out his hand, says, hey, Thomas, have a butcher's hook at this. What do you reckon? Don't be faithless. Don't be faithless anymore. Believe. So the important thing that Thomas needed to hear, believe. Uh, Judas needed to hear the forgiveness of Jesus and that he had risen from the dead. He never heard it. Peter needed to hear Jesus' words of, of forgiveness and establishing a new pathway. Thomas needed to hear, don't be faithless any longer, believe. Verse 29, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Do you feel blessed this morning? Now, of course, if you listen to the media, you can't use that word anymore, apparently. Um, Blessed, it's um, 
No, you're all in the far north. You're not watching TV. Our dear, beloved Prime Minister got in all sorts of trouble because he said he was blessed with three lovely kids, or two, two lovely kids. But anyway, that's another story. But you feel blessed this morning. You should. If you believe in Jesus and you believe that he rose from the dead and you believe you are a child of God, if you believe in eternity, if you believe in the resurrection, that Jesus is coming back again and your sins are forgiven, you have a home in eternity, how could you not feel blessed? Hey, How could you not feel blessed? Not having seen as Thomas did. We didn't see the nail prints. We didn't see Jesus standing there in the upper room. But in faith, believing that Jesus is the Messiah who came as a baby, who lived, who was crucified, who was buried, he rose and ascended to heaven and will come again one day when the time is fulfilled. That, my friends, is belief. Now, I want to ask you a question. Who do you identify with this morning? You might say, Pastor Will, <coughs> I haven't been listening to a word you said because I was thinking about what I've got to prepare for the work tomorrow, what I'm going to cook for lunch or whatever. But I want you to really focus now, okay? Who do you identify with in these stories this morning? Is it Jesus? Is it Judas who was devoid of hope? You might be sitting here this morning, things have gone wrong in your life, you may have lost your job, you may have lost your family, all sorts of things that may have gone wrong. I don't know you. Outside of one or two or three or four, I don't know you. I don't know who God's brought in here this morning. I don't know who your next door neighbour is. I don't know who your workmate is. I don't know who God has put in the sphere of your influence. Judas was devoid of hope. He saw no future. He needed someone to bring the story of the resurrection into his life. Peter, who failed when Jesus needed him to be strong, found redemption, was restored and embraced a new calling in his life. Thomas, who did doubt, but saw the doubt as a lie, uh, believed and followed Jesus. <coughs> Sorry. Or maybe it's John, who despite the failings of others, remained loyal. Yeah, you're that person. All through the year, you've remained loyal. You haven't let God down, you haven't let the church down, you've been a hard worker in the kingdom of God and all these others have failed along the way but you're hung in there. Maybe you're John or maybe you're Mary who saw, believed and, and went and told the others. Mary who believed and went with the message of the resurrection to others. I want to ask this question, how's your faith life? How's your faith Life Is Jesus speaking into your heart this morning? <laughs> oh, don't you love it? Sorry, it, was, it, it heard what I said and was trying to look up Google to find out. Anyway. <coughs> How's your faith life? I'll get it right in a minute. Jesus is speaking to your life this morning, calling for a response in your heart. The Holy Spirit is speaking into your heart this morning and the Holy Spirit may have put his finger on something. He may have put his finger on something in your life that you need to get right or may have put his finger on someone within your sphere of influence. And he's saying to you this morning, listen to what I'm saying to you. 
I have a task for you and I want you to do that task. Maybe you're like Judas, no hope for me. God couldn't forgive me for what I've done. Perhaps there's something in your past, maybe you even went to prison for it, I don't know. There's something in your past that you're saying, God couldn't possibly use me for I am, I'm the worst. I've done this, I've done that, whatever it might be. Yes, Jesus can use you. Well, like Peter, I see Jesus from afar. He's there on the beach. He's calling to me. What am I going to do? Am I going to put my shirt on, drive into the water and go to him? Or am I going to sit back in my comfortable chair and say, well, yeah, I, I hear you, but yeah, no, I've got too many other things I need to do. Is it Thomas? Jesus, I believe. Forgive me for my unbelief. We've all had those situations where we haven't believed as we should have. Or perhaps you're like Mary, who heard that command go and tell others, what would have Mary have done? I'm a woman. In the Jewish culture, no one will no one will believe me. I could go and talk to them, but who's going to believe me? That she, they're going to call me a fool, that I'm hallucinating. I'm a woman. I couldn't possibly do that, Lord. Did Mary say that? Mary Magdalene, this is. No. What did she do? Off she went, found Peter and John. That was her purpose. That was what she was told to do. Is it time to be obedient to God's call? And finally, are you, this is the finally of this one, you'll be all pleased to know, are you a John? I reckon there's lots of Johns here this morning. Faithful, steadfast, that friend that sticks closer than a brother, that one that you can go to, the one that other people in the church go to, the one the pastor goes to, that's John. Steadfast, secure, holds it all together. Beware. You know one of the things that I learned, one of them, which I still forgot time to time, for John... If you're a John here today, the weapon that Satan uses to get into your life is pride. It's pride. I'm the one that holds this church together. I'm the one that has been here for the last 50 years and it wouldn't be here. You know, I've been part of this new building. I've been part of all these pastors that have come and gone. And very, very subtly, pride can come in. I want to encourage you, if you're a John this morning, stand firm. Stand firm. God needs you to stand firm in the kingdom of God. He needs people. He needs Johns. He needs Peters. He needs Mary. He needs all these others, even Thomas. He needs John. And if you're John this morning, don't let Satan get into your heart and puff you up with pride and, uh, and take you to a place you shouldn't be. Stand firm in your faith, obedient one. Lord God, it's been an exciting couple of weeks. Easter always is. We love Easter. And we look forward to it coming and Lord, the children look forward to Easter eggs, I guess. 
and we have our conferences and, and so on. We have our teachers, we have our get-togethers, our camps, and it's all good. But Lord, Easter is also a time where we need to stop sometimes and we need to stop and, and look. And this morning, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that your voice would be heard, that as we leave this place with all the noise that will be around, morning tea and we go home, lunch and so on, but in the midst of all of that, there would be a quiet time where we reflect on what you are saying. And I pray, Holy God, that you would call us to be the people you desire us to be, that we would be obedient, that we would be faithful, that we would go and do what you've called us to do. Lord, give us eyes to see our world around us. Give us eyes to see those who have no hope and who don't have an interest in wanting hope. Give us eyes to see, Lord, and you will then provide a way for us to talk. I think, Lord, of the neighbours in my street. And, Lord, you've helped me get to know some of them. And, Lord, that bridge is <laughs> has yet to be crossed. And I pray that I might have your faith to do that in your timing. So, Lord, bless this church. Bless your people here. May it grow. May it be continue to be faithful, faithful, 